guys and welcome back to four mules and one jackass my name is christopher and with me i have ryan and thanks so much for joining us again uh, we're live on five different platforms that is anchor spotify google podcast breaker and radio republic also don't forget to follow us on there so each time a new episode comes out you'll immediately be notified and make sure to follow our social media channels as well our instagram and our twitter which we'll talk about later Today we're talking to you right after, well not right after, but a bit after the Bahrain Grand Prix, the season opener. So we thought we'd share a bit about our thoughts, things that have come up in the weekend, some things that we noticed, some things that surprised us, etc, etc. So uh, yeah, let's just uh, get cracking. I know Ryan, you had some talking points you wanted to talk about, so uh, yeah, let's get into it. Well, there's you know one main highlight of the entire weekend. I was glued to my screen because mm-hmm. we have gotten everything that we have been waiting and praying for for years yeah i mean it was exciting like qualifying was so exciting as well so many things happening the race itself good battles all through the the grid basically and yeah and then a fight for the first place finish that was you know till the very end of the race what more could you want this is what f1 should be so the fact that mercedes have been you know slowed down a bit uh i think is a very good thing yeah, because when you think about it, uh, Christopher, we just started season 2021. Mm-hmm. The last time that I can remember having a very competitive season with racing all over all over the place was at 2010. You know, the last season where the championship went down to the wire. No, that was 2012, no? Well, I mean, the championship went down to the wire. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we had four different drivers up until the last race that were in contention to become um, world champion so that's after that we had essentially 10 years of dominance where one team and one car usually dominated every single practice session so it wasn't really an excitement as to oh, who true. got pole positioned uh, uh, today uh, on saturday because nine eight out of ten times you knew exactly who would be starting from pole and winning the race yeah exactly and the fact that this year it's like we thought that everything would be clear from the first race no it just throws us it was just more question marks basically lewis did an amazing job uh, in the race mm-hmm. clearly he was not uh, perhaps in the most comfortable car but he did really well max was really chasing him down had some really fast sectors uh but yeah strategy prevailed lewis's driving skills as well but max would was not giving it up and then there was the controversial uh overtake at turn four a lot of people have been talking about this uh turn four overtake and track limits etc and i thought it would be something interesting that we should discuss so uh ryan what do you think about track limits in general and about this race i think those are the discussion points at the moment it is on the forefront of everyone's mind Mm -hmm. um if we look at specifically at this uh, battle between verstappen and hamilton uh, where max overtook uh, outside of the white lines off the track limits and then had to give the position back so that is one thing i just wanted to rewind the clock just a bit uh backwards where lewis hamilton uh, was making use of this you know leaving the track at turn four time and time again on social media and other uh, journalists mentioned that he did it 29 times Yep. And why is le- uh, track limits or leaving the track so important? So it all boils down to what the FIA, uh, which is the regulatory body, 
uh, says as leaving the track and gaining an advantage. When applied to the overtake that Verstappen did on Hamilton, leaving the track and gaining an advantage, well, he gained the advantage by moving ahead of Hamilton on track. But if we apply it to Hamilton's case, where it's, you know, people have been saying, watching onboard footage of his laps, um, that he he did that turn four exit, leaving the track at turn four about 29 times. And yeah. Red Bull, of course, on the radio talking about it. Uh, I think it was Christian Horner or his race engineer telling Max, oh, Hamilton is doing this, um, but don't do it yet. But do, keep doing it unless they say something. Yeah. But that is also leaving the track and gaining an advantage. Because yeah. if Hamilton keeps on doing this and he picks up a tenth, two tenths, every single time he he does this, after 29 laps, if he's gaining one tenth every lap, he gets about 2.9 seconds. If it's two tenths, it's about 5.8 seconds. So anywhere from three to six seconds, he's gaining. Yeah. Which, you know, in Formula One terms, is huge. It's so, massive. The question is, why wasn't that crackdown from the start? Because the whole weekend, the, the rules have been really shaky and unclear from the stewards office as to when they're going to clamp down and when they're not. Because in free practice session, it was completely fine. For qualifying, they changed it. They clamped down, deleted laps from, from drivers. And then we see the start of the Grand Prix for, you know, well after the first pit stops. Uh, they were doing it and then they decided to clamp down on it. Yeah, so the driver briefings, apparently they were all told that they could go wide there at turn four in practice session, etc. For qualifying, they they made it more strict that they couldn't, which I think makes sense. We have to think about if on the other side of the curb there had been gravel, they wouldn't have gained an advantage. They wouldn't have gone that far. It is a tricky corner because it's kind of, yeah, you, you go in with a lot of heat on the brakes. You turn in very aggressively and the exit is a bit like the rear wants to slide out of this corner. We we saw uh, Mick as well um, spin out there. Mick Schumacher you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Um, the thing about the, the Hamilton Verstappen overtake is that Lewis seems to push Verstappen a little bit. So if by that logic, had he done that and pushed Verstappen out in the gravel like he did to Albon in Austria last year, he would have gotten a penalty for it. Mm -hmm. um, so Verstappen takes a bit of an avoiding action, but still he could have probably made the turn a bit sharper and still managed to hold on to it. But it's a bit too risky knowing Lewis is a tough racer. He just went a bit wide. He gave the position back, which in this case, I will agree, if an overtake happens outside of track limits, it, ha it have to be given back. Um, during the race, I also think they should have been stricter with the track limits. Maybe they should change the corner so there wouldn't really be an advantage of going wide there. You could maybe leave a little bit of gravel or astroturf at the edge of the curb, at the very end of the curb. If they slout further out than that, there would be asphalt, so, you know, cars don't just go flying into a barrier but they can actually you know slow down a bit um but yeah it, it's very problematic because the, they're not consistent with this uh for each race we go to it seems the fi have new track limits no track limits uh now we're going to enforce it in this corner but not this corner and mid-weekend sometimes as well exactly like we just saw this weekend for instance and yeah that's annoying because that kind of it didn't ruin the race. The race was amazing, but it did 
it did give a little bit of a bad taste in our mouth. A it wasn't bad aftertaste. It was a, a bit of salt. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of salt there. Exactly. A little bit of a salty licorice right there, you know. Um, Danish or Dutch? Well, I would say uh, Finnish, if I have to be honest. Finnish. Fair yeah, enough. Finnish licorice is the best. Okay. Yeah. But going back to what you mentioned before, that little strip of astroturf or, or gravel to next to the white line, track limits are track limits. You know? mm-hmm. And it was actually Mika Hakinen who mentioned before that in his time, overtaking was different. Overtaking was more difficult because you really had to be sure of yourself that you could make this move yeah. because there was no second chance. If True. they went wide, it's into the wall or into the gravel trap damage the car or be stuck in the gravel trap and there is no second chance that is you out of the race no point whatsoever yeah. whereas in this modern day formula one they can go for the move knowing that they'll be they'll, uh, there's asphalt um waiting for them that of course their tires will get dirty they'll have to wait a few laps before that clears and catch up again make up the lost time but they can have a second go there's no real concern about damaging the car or flying into the wall getting stuck in the gravel because there is no obstacle anymore to denote here's the track and it ends there because if you surpass that limit you're done true but we also see more i think risky overtakes now because of that which we didn't see back then like because the cars be now killed. are hard to follow because you'd be hmm? killed I yeah, mean, no, that's in... true. And you would you would ruin your race. Like you wouldn't have a second chance, if you say. So I think it's, that's a, true. it's a fine so, balance, you know. So I yeah. admit that, you know, the, the asphalt is there because of safety reasons. It mm-hmm. has been proven to be more safe than just a gravel trap or, or just the wall. Yeah. But the madness has to stop somewhere. You know, yeah. if, if you're going to enforce it by regulation track limits, then truly enforce it, you know. Or again, like you said, the... Like in my opinion, the best, the best of two worlds is to have the asphalt after that little strip of you know either astroturf or gravel, something that truly punishes uh, the driver, the tires, the car whatsoever for a failed overtake move, um, and then um, yeah, live to survive, but you are punished for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and speaking of uh, turn four. Uh, Norris made some amazing moves in that corner in the race and that was something that I was actually quite surprised about. I was thinking he was going to go into this race being a bit cautious uh, but it was his teammate, his new teammate Daniel Ricciardo was going into this race being a bit more cautious and on that first lap I think I would say we were going to see some really nice battles between those two. I think Norris is out to prove something and he knows that if he can prove himself strong against Ricardo I mean his value will go up and he was really doing some amazing ballsy overtakes there during the whole race yeah absolutely I I completely agree this is going to be a a defining season for Norris as it was Um, he's not a rookie anymore still young but not a rookie starting his third season Uh, had Carlos Sainz as a teammate before good driver moved on to Ferrari but now this season they have Daniel Ricciardo, a proven race winner, uh, a killer in the car. Nice guy outside of the car, apparently, but inside the car, an absolute killer. Knows how to push for results, knows how to take the car performance to the maximum. And Norris is going to have to prove himself against that. And yeah. after qualifying where uh, Ricardo managed to qualify Norris by, you know, 
the tiniest of margins, but ahead is ahead. Yeah, and Norris had him until then, like, you know, he he had the whole weekend in the bag, which was understandable. It's his team, not his team, but he's more used to the team than Ricardo is. Uh, But yeah. But then race time, and then race time, you also have the results. And we see Norris finishing fourth, um, Ricardo finishing seventh. And of course, Ricardo picked up a bit of damage from his little moment with with Gasly. It was, so... Andrea Seidel, the team principal, did mention that he, he picked up some damage on the floor. He had floor damage, yeah, exactly. Which, of course, limited the, the effectiveness of his car. So Norris's car, without having any incidents on the first lap, managed to perform better, which could account to something. But I know, think they would have been similar. I think at the end of the race, had Ricardo not had this damage, they would have probably been fighting it out throughout the whole race. So, yeah, my prophecy this year is that we're going to have some really, really uh, juicy battles between those two. Yes, but, um, I think when we look at cars and teammates, I think those two are the closest uh, on the entire grid that will be um, possibly, matching yeah. each other, you know, within yeah. hundreds or tenths. I didn't expect that already from race one that uh, Norris was going to try and show who's boss, <laughs> basically. But that's what he needs to do. Yeah, so, so, that's, yeah. so that's something to look forward to in the season. So another driver making his debut with his his new team was, was Carlos Sainz, finishing mm-hmm. in eighth position. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on I think his? He did sprint? a good job. He did a good job. Uh, he said himself he was also taking it uh, quite cautious, uh, which I think was smart. It's good to get two cars in the points, make sure they get a good understanding of the race pace, a good rhythm of the car, and Leclerc did an amazing job first of all. Um, but yeah, Sainz uh, was good throughout the whole weekend. I think they'll be closer than what most people um, thought they were going to be. So yeah, exciting to see what he can do uh, in the Ferrari this year. Yeah, Ferrari is definitely the one to to watch out for. The the prancing horse is a dark horse this season for Literally. the midfield battle. Leclerc just blowing everything away in qualifying, like amazing performance. Yeah, and then quite 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 punchy in the race as well. Uh, at the start, managing to overtake Valtteri Bottas in his Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, Sainz did mention that he took it quite conservative uh, in the exactly. opening few laps. And, and this race, still having to find where the limits are, how far to push. So for his, for his debut race for Ferrari, it's, it's important that he delivers. And you know, a couple of points is better than no points in the, in the first race. On the other hand, just to play devil's advocate, is it really smart? I mean, it is intelligent and smart, but do we really want to see drivers admitting that they're being conservative? Or do we want to see, you know, full out, full send, maximum attack every single session? Because you know that uh, Fernando Alonso is never like that and was never like that. Even when he made his debut in 2001 in a minority, well, of course, his car was, was bad the worst car of the field, but you saw every single session, he was full send on it. Every practice session, every qualifying session, every race lap. So he's in, you know, one of the best teams in Formula One. He's proven that he has the capability and skills in order to be there. You know, he's a good racing driver. Then we want to see the maximum, you know, potential and and skill level drawn out. Of course, but this is the first race of the season. Ferrari are going to be in a tight midfield battle, I think, this year. Um, Tighter than they were last year, anyway. 
every point they get is going to be important. I think it's better to just start out a little bit cautious. I mean, it is it is smart of them. It is smart of science to do that. And trust me, next race, he's not going to be like that. It's probably just going to be for the very first race, his first weekend with Ferrari. Get get some points, you know, have, have a solid start. Build upon that instead of having a race where you might have been quick. You crash out. You're going to have, you know, you're going to be a bit upset about that going into the next race and being a bit annoyed. But I wanted to talk about a former Ferrari driver as well. Leclerc's old teammate, um, the four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel. He had his debut this uh, this race in his Aston Martin. And yeah, a lot of talk about that because his qualifying was hampered by an incident. Mm-hmm. He got a grid penalty because of the yellow flag. He didn't slow down enough. He started... Um, where did he start? I actually don't remember. 15th the or something? Back. The oh, at the back. Uh, Sorry, yeah. He qualified he 18th. The race. Exactly. He qualified 18th. He yeah, had yeah. to start from the back because of his grid penalty. Yeah, and he made a mistake on Ocon, saying Ocon moved. Since then, Vettel had gone out and admitted it was his mistake. He expected Ocon to move to the inside, which he didn't. He kept his line and Vettel crashed into the back of him, which was very reminiscent of what he did to Verstappen in, was it 2019, I think, at Silverstone? Yeah. And it's just clumsy. Like, I rate Vettel very highly, but I also saw a stat today that Vettel has never won a race from below third position on the grid. I knew. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is also insane. Senna as well is the same, but, but I think Vettel is just, he, yeah, he's just not in his uh, in his zone at the moment. It's really sad. He is a great driver, but when things go against him, maybe he just can't extract that much out of the car. That's what people say. But even looking at his body language, how, he, how he's acting how how he's talking to the press it he doesn't seem that comfortable uh which is a great shame um i hope he finds his footing but yeah it was a bit yeah it was a bit sad to see that race for from his perspective well in sebastian vetto in in my opinion we have a man racing for his legacy yeah uh, we know he is a four-time world champion but there's always people that are going to place an asterisk after that yeah. Because they always say, oh, yeah, if you have the best car of the field, of course, uh, you're only re- racing your teammates. You have no, no one else to beat. So it's been proven that, or rather, everyone's talking about it, including Adrian Newey, the, the designer of the Red Bull team who designs the cars, that um, Red Bull in that period of time were absolutely dominating, much like how Mercedes was dominating the past couple of years. And... Sebastian Vettel beating his teammates time and time again to win all those consecutive world champions. Then what happened when he moved to Ferrari is he had a lesser car. He didn't have the dominant car. And did we have the performance? Well, in my opinion, 2018, the championship was for his to take. He lost that championship due to a a string of errors, both of himself and of the team. But after that, can we say... Um, or rather why the season is defining for me for Sebastian Vettel is can we see him pulling out results and pulling out performances in a car that is inferior to the front of the grid in my opinion the the absolute best drivers you know the the Ayrton Senna the Michael Schumachers the uh, Max Verstappen the Fernando Alonso of the world they are able to outdrive the performance of their car they are able to deliver results despite not having a good car so yeah. we see them rising above you know their their skill level everything they are one to deliver you know results so 
you know, race wins podiums, but then also championships. So in order for, for Vettel to still be considered one of the best drivers in F1, because to get one world championship is not an easy feat, let alone four. But in order for him to truly cement his place in Formula One legacy, like Schumacher and like Hamilton have, Vettel needs to prove that this season he can deliver the goods at Aston Martin. Absolutely. And I think this regulation change has not really helped him as well with the cars having less downforce at the rear. Uh, there is this rumor going about, not rumor, but people have been saying that he really likes a, a rear that is planted. You know, uh, that's his style of driving uh, ever since his Red Bull days. And there might be some truth to that. And this year's cars is definitely not helping him if, if that is the case. But maybe next year with the new regulation, who knows what happens? Maybe something will click there. Um, so, yeah, a lot can happen still. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow how his legacy is going to gonna pan out. Um because he is the four-time world champion. He's not been performing well, and I think it's a bit, yeah, it's a surprising to see. We Last time we saw something like this was when Michael Schumacher had his comeback. He was he was doing well, but it was not the Schumacher of old, so maybe there's a comparison there to, to be made. <clears throat> so, race debuts. Let's talk about race debuts. Let's talk about the race, going back to the race again. And then here's a, you know, looking at the pure seconds looking at the duration of things we had Valtteri Bottas's pit stop and the duration of Nikita Mazepin's entire race mm-hmm. who in the opening stages of the race has spun out we have seen him spin uh, in free practice sessions and in qualifying where he brought out the yellow flag which ruined a lot of timed laps from drivers including Beto so, how would you sum up uh, Nikita Mazepin's debut? Okay, first of all, I want to be completely honest here. I know there is a hate bandwagon on Mazepin for the things he's done off track and also what he did in F2. And I think that's that's uh, that makes sense. He's done some really shady things and we should definitely talk about that. With regards to this race debut... Um, yeah, so Lando Norris uploaded a clip on Twitch, or uh, he was he was streaming, and there was a clip where you can find where he actually defends Mazepin because Mick spins as well on the first lap. He just manages to you know keep going. The car is undrivable. So to be fair to Nikita Mazepin, Haas is not in the greatest position. They have two rookie drivers. They maybe should have got gone one more um, proven driver just to get the car development going, set up changes, etc. Um, so I think it's too hard to judge him. It was a tough weekend for the whole team, but especially for him. Um, so, yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say about it, um, really, to be honest, because uh, it's hard to say. He might come back stronger at the next race. Who knows? But that car is also not very fast. Very tricky yeah, to drive. First, first race uh, from a rookie driver. Um, making his debut in 2021 from Russia. So, in 2010... Uh, Vateli Petrov made his debut in Formula 1, being the first Russian Formula 1 driver. His first racing series was in the Lada series, by the way. Just want yeah. to point that out. Yeah. And in, in the years since, uh, we have um, four drivers from Russia making, uh, making their way to Formula 1. So if you look at it, in the past 11 years, we've had four drivers from a country which doesn't have a very rich motorsports history 
So of course, with the the influx of of investment and technological investment coming out of Russia, um, and key emphasis on investment, we have had uh, four Russian drivers may, uh, entering Formula One. So Vitaly Petrov being the first. That we have Daniel Kvyat, who yeah. came through the the Red Bull ranks as a Red Bull Junior. After that, we had Sergei Sorokin driving for Williams and lovely bloke. I love that dude. Mazepin. such a nice, such a nice dude. So with, Petrov, not so much. Well, with Petrov and Sorotkin both being parts of um, SMP Racing, I I wanted to give them a shout out a bit. So SMP Racing uh, is a well. They had a uh, a team, a racing team. Uh, there are a development, a young driver development team as well, as well as being a part of uh, online sports. So they have a team active in that as well. They used to be competing in the, the World Endurance Championship. And it's a bit of a debate between Christopher and I as to exactly how to pronounce the acronym. Uh, I say WEC, but Christopher says WEC. 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 Weck. Man, that's so weck of you to say, you know? Like, come on, it sounds silly. Dude, that championship is weck. It's f- oh, Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I will bleep this. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, but with Drew, um, with Drew in the, the season 2019 and 2020, uh, Jensen Button being amongst the drivers driving for them in the weck. WEC, um, World Endurance WEC. Championship. But also part of SP Racing is uh, Robert Schwartzman currently in formula two um being a, a championship contender even last season um leading for a long time the championship before the season sort of unraveled towards the end but making a great start as a rookie in formula two last year and returning to f2 this year so we can see the the great progress in in young driver development and and young russian talent coming through the ranks and making their way into formula one which is great to see yeah, and let's not forget they have a race in Sochi, and I think yep. Russia wants to be part of a Formula One. It is a world championship. They've invested a lot in it, and through Petrov being the first to debut in F1 in 2010, which is crazy late when you think about Russia should have had racing drivers way earlier, but you know because of the political landscape in uh, in Europe back then, maybe it wasn't possible. Um, but yeah, since then we've seen Kvyat, for instance, Sirotkin, and. Now Mazepin as well. In Mazepin's case, there's a lot of money behind it. But with Robert Schwartzman, for instance, um, yeah, it's 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 talented drivers. They're coming out. They're they're being more visible to the rest of the world now. Um, I think that's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a big powerhouse, and also China, uh, for that matter, with uh, Guang Yuzhou. Um, yeah, really going to be interesting to see what he can do. He's still in F2, but yeah, he's he's a good driver as well. Yeah, speaking of the Russian Grand Prix, of course, being held in in Sochi. Debuting in 2014, uh, using the the former Olympic grounds and venue uh, for that track. But did you actually know that there was a, a Moscow Speedway built in 2012? Uh, three guesses as to who the designer was of that track. Hermann Tilke. Straight to the back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know St. Petersburg as well have been interesting in it, which maybe would be more approachable for the other European countries. Um, not that it matters in these this day and age, but yeah, I think Sochi as a track 
it's not the most popular. It's it's a beautiful venue and it's a it's a it's a good city. It's a good resort. I've heard, but uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see something maybe different for for the Russian Grand Prix at some point. Yeah, but, but uh, then going back to the the, the great level in, of investment um, that is going into the young talent, um, which is great to see. Uh, I also want to juxtapose that to a picture of the two Dutch drivers in Formula Two, in the form of Bent Fiscal and. Richard Verschoor, or Richard Verschoor, anglicized. Verschoor, man. Um, both of them only having a one-race deal so far, so only for the opening weekend in Bahrain. Both talents um, coming from Formula 3, where both of them had race wings. Um, talents, you know, they're uh, not yet the, the amazing talents of Max Verstappen, but they're there because they're talented. They just don't have any cash. You know, they don't have the major sponsorship or investments that can take them through uh, a whole season and we know how expensive racing is and the fact that both of these talented dutch drivers only have one race deals whereas we look up and down the formula 2 field where there are drivers confirmed for the entire season that have not even a sliver of their talent but they're there for either this season or the next season as long as it takes so for instance, that's a that's a great and so S and P Racing their their model should be you know the go to model from something outside of the 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 Ferrari Driver Academy or the the Red Bull program. You know we need to see a consortium of of businesses coming together to support uh, racing talent, young racing talent, and it shouldn't matter yeah. their nationality. Absolutely, and the price for feeder series should go down, like. Whatever you think about budget caps and F1 and all that, it's also important. But I think for the feeder series, it's even more important. Like, these these people come from families, you know. They can't ruin their family and the livelihoods just because of their children wanting to go racing. That should be something we talked about in the last episode with, you know, diversity and stuff. Like, it should be possible for everyone, every kid around the world that loves racing to be able to go racing and become a racing driver if they want to and if they're they are determined enough and they're fast enough i think yeah so here's my little my little sharp note with a little bit of salty something we have discussed before in conversation christopher but um something worth mentioning on this podcast as well so i have this uh, you know belief that there should be an oligarch tax so when a driver buys their way into formula one so that could be, you know, a driver coming from a wealthy family. We have examples, Lance Stroll, um, Nicolas Latifi, uh, Nikita Mazepin. So they come from very wealthy families and they're loving fathers, like as, as anyone would, as any father would, supported their way through the junior formula categories, spent loads of money for their son to be able to debut in Formula One. Which is fine. It's it's. I mean, you can have your reservations about it, but it's it is what it is. It's it's reality. That's the world. That's the world. But I would say that there needs to be a tax on that as well. So should someone buy their way into a Formula One team, there should also be a tax paid, which would then go directly to the feeder series or support series. So this money, this tax money, would be used to support and develop young talent who simply don't have the sponsorship or money so it needs to be merit-based but we need to you know encourage the, the the continuous stream of talent and talent alone 
up to Formula One. In principle, I completely agree with you uh, because that money could somehow be be spent extra uh, in, in better places, like maybe even carbon footprint offsets, etc., as well as, you know, supporting feeder series. But I think it's going to be really hard to enforce. That's going to be, yeah, because there's always shady dealings going on. Just think about Philip Morris and their sponsorship with Ferrari, for instance, you know. You could always make the money come from a different place. Uh, but yeah, in, in principle, I agree. I think that would be great because um, there is a lot of talent out there in the world and we want to see them on the grid from all over the world, basically. Yeah. But um, so, yeah. Last thing for me. Um, earlier, we are talking about being conservative and maximum send. I want to highlight Yuki Sonoda's debut race. Yeah, where I was about to say. Was maximum send yeah uh, amazing last lap overtake on Lance Stroll to finish ninth uh he is setting the world alight with his you know with his energy and enthusiasm uh he's young he is short he is exciting and that's also a prospect which we've mentioned before in our first podcast but talking about delivering and uh, giving results because his qualifying you know his first two sessions uh, his first session was great. He didn't quite deliver on in Q2 to make it onto Q3. So his his qualifying result was disappointing. But boy, did he make up for that in the race? He did. He had a solid debut. I think there was still more in him. Like he said himself, he was cautious on the first lap. Again, another trait, which I say makes sense. Again, it's the first race. Uh, yeah, I really want to talk a lot about uh, Tsunoda, of course, uh, but I actually also want to save it a bit for our next episode, maybe, because uh, then we can maybe go a bit more in depth. It was amazing. It was really ballsy. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot to, to talk about. Um, but, but there's, I feel there's sorry much for Pierre more as well. to him. Huh? But there's, there's so much more to him than just yes. having that raw speed and talent because he's yes. intelligent as well. Yeah, exactly. In I, his, his post-race interview... Um, yeah. He was mentioning that when he was following Fernando Alonso, he was looking at his style. He was looking at how he conserves tires. Um, talked about overtaking Fernando Alonso, which you know was his father's favorite driver. So it was a huge honor for him. And then later on in the race, copying what Fernando Alonso was doing in tire conversation, uh, yeah, but conservation. He so. seems to be that kind of driver. Like um, I don't know, we mentioned it in a in a the older episode. I don't know if we've cut it or not, but. Yeah, he seems to learn a lot from other drivers. He learned a lot from Pierre. He learned a lot take from Pierre as way. well. Hmm? Take two, that was. It didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, probably take two. Some, yeah. Somewhere out there in the in the ether now. Uh, but yeah, exactly. In the cutting room. Uh, he, he, does, he does seem to be a driver that just learns very quickly and learns from other drivers. Uh, that's going to be interesting. And his attitude after the interviews is so un-Japanese in a way. And it's, it's refreshing. Like he... He has that kind of sense of humor that Japanese people have when they're with other Japanese people. Uh, but because he can express himself in such a in such a good way in his English, it, it comes across. And I think sometimes it can be hard for Japanese athletes to really show that. Um, but yeah, and in Tsunoda's case, he, he, he's got that. Um, so yeah, high hopes for him. But let's go more in depth in the next episode because uh, yeah, we should definitely prepare more for that and, and talk about it. Yeah, um, I predict that Yuki Tsunoda will be a discussion point throughout the season. Yeah. With, uh, yeah, I think with he'll do something controversial. I have a gut feel that something controversial uh, with him will be involved at some point. Well, uh, ladies but... and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Go straight to the betting office. Yeah. Christopher predicts that there'll be something controversial this season yeah. with Yuki Tsunoda. Exactly. See what bookmaker will take that bet. I don't know what controversial means in this sense. Uh, I'll give you good odds. Okay. 
cash money only so cash money anyway yeah, your last point christopher so yeah uh, i just wanted to give a quick mention to uh, william marsh from the sim racing paddock he unfortunately passed away um a, co- a week ago i think it is and to everyone who's a sim race out there you've probably come across his videos um online i know for me he's been yeah i've been watching a lot of his videos his review videos and he just came across as a genuine passionate guy and he's partly the reason why i I took up sim racing again because i found some of his videos and yeah just want to say it's really sad the community has lost a great member there one of the the real genuine guys and uh yeah may he rest in peace race in peace race in peace so that just about wraps up episode two of our podcast so i once again i hope you enjoyed and don't forget to follow us on instagram at four mules and one jackass and on twitter at four mules and one and as mentioned before anything that uh, you have to say some feedback or question you may have uh, please tweet us dm yeah, us if you have a question send it in if something this you want us to discuss we'll we'll mention you uh we'll discuss this point it's okay if it's a funny point a crazy point whatever it may be something that could uh you know you want to hear about let's 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 hear it perfect so until next time episode three uh what's the next race christopher when are we going to uh, italy i don't know it's a three-week break so it feels like it's uh, off season again i'm confused <laughs> but back to the the beautiful and dangerous Imola, which will present uh, some challenges and some advantages for some. Course. Gran Premio made in Italia, uh, Rosso Corsa, Modena, Maranello, Ferrari Grand Prix, something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah. So sorry, until sorry, next time, um, remember keep washing those hands, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. <laughs>